today, what we're going to do is after a two-week break, talking about uh, prayer, or not talking about it, but practicing prayer. Uh, when I was in Colombia, we did some uh, prayer practice, and then we talked about persecution, which is a theme of what we've been seeing throughout the scriptures. We're going to finally get back to our sermon series called The Mystery of Revelation, which is a sermon series based in the book of Revelation, or the Apocalypse, known as. And, and once again, I want to thank Apocalypse for being here for our series in the Apocalypse. He is just making it the best sermon series ever. It's like John sitting on a series of John, but it's just not, as, not the same because there's so many Johns, but that's okay. Not, nothing against Johns and Riches and Joes and Freds, but Apocalypse, I mean, you just got to, I mean, it's just the best. So anyway, well, you're welcome. Thank you. Um, but anyway, a while back, so I had read this book, I think it was last year, I got this Kindle Unlimited plan, and I found this really interesting book that, uh, about history, I like to study little historical uh, stories, like small historical stories, sometimes biographies, but it was called Tiny Blunders, Major Disasters. And the idea was that there are these tiny little mistakes or blunders that people made that led to these tremendous disasters. So I'll give you an example. It was 1870, was it 1870? Yeah, it was 1871, the Great Chicago Fire. You remember that? It was in history. So anyway, the, basically the entire city of Chicago burned down, or maybe most of it. It wasn't maybe the entire city, but pretty much the whole city burned. And it, in the story, you see that, I mean, things were like, you know, it was like a drought, and so there were a lot of conditions in place. However, the fire brigade was misdirected at one point, and they could have possibly... Uh, put out the fire before it spread just because they took a wrong turn uh, before they got to the fire. So therefore, because of that mis one little mistake, an entire city burned down. There's lots of examples in, in the book. Uh, some, some are not, but uh, one was the Titanic, the sinking of the Titanic. Now, you may or may not know that the Titanic may not have sunk if one sailor had not, who was on the previous crew, had not forgotten a key to a locker that held the binoculars. So they didn't know where the binoculars were, and they, so they couldn't use them to look out into the sea. So if this one sailor had not forgotten the key to the locker where the binoculars were, they could have possibly seen the iceberg and then diverted the course. So maybe some small mistake, and you can't say exactly for sure if that would have happened, so it could have still uh, you know, been the disaster that it was, but that one tiny mistake, that one little blunder, could have caused something so disastrous. Another example, not in the book, but you may be familiar with back if you're from my Gen X kind of generation. Um, I, don't, I don't relate to the next of the millennials. Like, they're just a whole different thing. I'm Gen X, just so you know. <laughs> I take pride in my Gen Xness and not being a, but that's a whole difference. We can talk about that later. Nothing against millennials. Love you, millennials. I'm married to a millennial. Mm, love you too. <laughs> so anyway, um, we're like at the cutoff point. So does not that it causes tension in our marriage or anything. Okay, I'm just going to stop talking about that. That's not in my notes. But anyway, in 1986, okay, do you guys remember this? Especially there was a disaster caused by a small blunder. 1986, I remember staring on my black and white television and I was watching the Challenger launch. Uh, this, this is a space shuttle. So for those of you who don't know this story, if you're of my generation, you probably remember. But I vividly remember watching, there was a spaceship, the Challenger, and it blew up in space. And I remember being shocked. I think I was in kindergarten at the time. I was like, Mom, Dad, do you see what's happening here? But what happened was, there, do you remember, it became famous what the problem was. It was an O-ring malfunction. Now, an O-ring 
this thing is like 0.2 centimeters or 0.2 inches in diameter. It is the tiniest little thing. And just a malfunction in that small little piece caused this tremendous disaster. In fact, seven people lost their lives and reconsider, and all of the people who were affected. So just a small little thing had a big, big consequence. Now, the most interesting story, however, in this book, which really connects to today's theme, which I found interesting as I, and it, it didn't plan it this way, but it, it was an ancient blunder that happened. It, and it involved two empires, okay? It was the kingdom of Lydia, led by King Croesus, and Cyrus led the kingdom of Persia. And these two kingdoms, and Persia at this time was emerging as a world superpower at the time. They, uh, long story short, they were uh, in bloody warfare. They had, uh, there was a lot of, there's these two battles that had happened. And so King Croesus took his army um, up Mount Timolus and hit the, in, in the city of Sardis, it was a heavily, a naturally fortified fortress of like a sheer cliff face that was basically impenetrable. You couldn't get into this city. So they, they went, they retreated into, the, into their fortress, into the city there, which is surrounded by like just rock, natural rock. And they were gonna camp out for the evening or for, you know, until they, the, the Persians just starved to death or had to leave. And basically it would have been the end of the Persian empire at that point because of all the casualties they would have suffered and had nothing to show for it. However, one of the Lydian soldiers, for whatever reason, he was goofing around. I don't know if he was, if he was a teenager or it was just like a buffoon or millennial probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well said, John, thank you. <laughs> the, whatever that version was back in that century. <laughs> he dropped his helmet. And so his helmet fell off the precipice and down. He's like, oh, I'll just go get my helmet. So he walked down this secret pathway and went to get his helmet and then walked back up the secret path to the, but guess what? One of the, Syria, the Persian soldiers saw where he went. He's like, oh, that's great. So he told the king, told the, and what did they do? Well, the Persian army, they just took their whole force and went up the secret pathway and it was over. For, for, for the Lydians and the kingdom of Lydia and King Croesus, it was gone. Now, people aren't really sure what happened to him. He could have been killed. He could have been let into the royal court for a little while, but it was the end of the kingdom of Lydia. Small blunder, major disaster. And in fact, what happens is this, this time in history, I think it was 581 BC when this happened, this city, the city of Sardis, is one of the cities that Jesus speaks directly to. And in fact, you can infer from what he says, he is making reference to what had happened in that, 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 that blunder that happened into that city. And in fact, that did happen again. And it's an important message that we have to understand today uh, based on the history and what Jesus has to say to this one city. And we'll launch into that in just a second. But before we do that, let's pray and then ask God for uh, his help in revealing himself to our hearts. So Lord, um, we know that you're the God of history and you're the God of the present. You're, the, you're God, you're Alpha and Omega as you reveal yourself in, in Revelation, in the apocalypse. You're, you're the beginning, you're the middle, and you're the end. And Jesus, we pray for a revelation of who you are right here in our midst today and that you would speak to our hearts and you would use this message that you spoke to the city and the church of Sardis to speak to our church today uh, as a community and as individuals 
so that we can walk this path of restoration and transformation that you have for all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, an interesting note too. Um, King Cyrus, if you remember, if you know some of your Bible history, he actually, he, he was the one to overthrow Babylon, who were the oppressors of the Jewish people. And so King Cyrus of Persia, he eventually set the Jewish people free and allowed them to return to their homeland even years later. So it's, there's a really interesting interconnectedness with this, this city in and of itself. But it's, um, it's an interesting message. So let's dig right in and look at Revelation 3. Uh, and it starts off by saying, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write this. Okay, so what do, what's that? Oh, well, they, he got it wrong. It's, it's Sardis. I don't know what, maybe cut and paste from the last one. But open your, if you open your Bibles, you'll see it in there. So don't trust the screen. We put it there for convenience. Maybe, maybe a millennial put those uh, slides together. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. I love millennials. Remember, I'm married to a millennial. Okay. okay. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. <laughs> Uh, not anymore. No, just kidding. Um, all right. So, so, so Sardis was situated. It was at the road at this this intersection between these five roads. Okay. So it was a place of commerce where people were bringing their goods from all around, all the different places. And so it was a commercial center where it, it became very, very affluent. In fact. Previously, historically, the king of the king King Croesus himself. There's a phrase. I don't know if you've heard this phrase. I learned this in my research. There's a phrase as rich as Croesus. Has anyone heard that that phrase before? Okay. All right. So we have one person. All right. But well, I'm glad. But there's a phrase that means as rich as Croesus, which means like you're very rich because he was really, really affluent. And anyway, again, it was built on a steep hill. And Antiochus, in the year what was the year 2000 or 2018 BC. He, um, this king, also attacked Sardis in the same kind of way. It wasn't a blunder. He didn't drop the helmet. But they were literally sleeping on the job. They thought, they were so confident that no kingdom or no army could overtake the city that they didn't even post a guard. They didn't even look for enemy retreaters. So they were, so they were caught sleeping on the job, metaphorically and literally, and their whole city was ransacked. So this kind of attack, this sleepiness, this carelessness, this passivity has been a characteristic of this city throughout the centuries. And this is, so listen to what Jesus has to say to the church in Sardis. Uh, version. Let's make sure we got the right one. Uh, yes. Okay, good. We're, we're back on track. So these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. I don't know, maybe you can see the, the connection a little bit, but we'll dig in. So the seven, first of all, some of it can be confusing. Go back to the seven spirits. Okay, so uh, it talks about the seven stars and the seven spirits. Um, the seven stars, as we see in Revelation 1, those are the angels or messengers. 
that were sent to the different cities, okay? So it's, it's about giving a message to each of the cities. And so Jesus holds these messengers, angels, in his hand. The seven spirits aren't as clear. However, in other parts of Revelation, you see that phrase, seven spirits used, and it's also interchangeably with the phrase, the seven's fold spirit. So most likely, and all likely, this means the Holy Spirit. Seven mean, meaning the number of completion. And so Jesus, being the one who commands angels and has walked perfectly in the presence of God, walked perfectly with the Spirit. There's only one person who walked with the Spirit as, as Jesus did. Well, there's no one who walked like Jesus did. He was the only one. So the church in Sardis, as we see, it seemed like it says, I know your deeds. You have the reputation for being alive. So it seems like everything is great. It's a church that has a great reputation among themselves. They probably thought highly of themselves. Among the other churches in Asia, among the churches that were known, they seemed, it seemed like every, they had their act together. And the two most common threats, if you remember what we've been learning or are familiar with these, these threats that have been coming against the churches, the two biggest threats were what? They were persecution and like immorality or false teaching, all those things. Uh, it doesn't mention any of those things explicitly. In other words, there were no really external threats. Like, just like they felt like they were a city that was highly fortified. We have no persecution. There's no false teaching coming against us. And so what? We can take it easy, right? We have no problems as a church. We, we've got it all together. We're doing great. But Jesus didn't think so. So, and, and we know that just because uh, we have a good reputation doesn't mean the reality is good. There's a big difference between reputation and reality, isn't there? We live in an Instagram world. And in Instagram, which certain generations of people like to use, um, <laughs> there is a big difference between how things are represented and how things are in reality. So I want to show you, have you heard of this um, like fake airplane challenge thing? So do you have to, do we were able to get that picture? So you can see, like, you can take a picture uh, that makes it seem like you're a world traveler, but in fact, you went to Home Depot to get the $34 toilet seat and make it seem like you were going traveling. Um, but this is kind of how it can be online, right? We can have a reputation uh, of, of appearing a certain way, but in fact, it's a completely different reality altogether. Okay, so this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, you look some way, and you even think you are some way, but you are not. And he uses the analogy of being asleep, that they are a sleeping church. And being asleep is often used in Scripture to represent spiritual deadness. Now, he doesn't say they're 100% they're dead. They're like in Monty Python, you're mostly dead, if you remember that. They're just almost dead, mostly dead, but not quite there. Okay, so they're on the cart being carted off the path, but not quite that. But they're, they're, they're getting really close. And so you see this connection, uh, the, the biblical imagery between sleepiness and deadness are like one and the same. You see Jesus using this illustration often. I'll give you an example from Ephesians 5. You want to pull that up? So Paul's talking about what it means to be a new community, a kingdom community. And it says, you know, be light. If you were once darkness... But now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. And then a few verses later in Ephesians 5, he says this, and he uses this phrase, I think it was a comment at the day, but he says, this is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so the idea of sleeping is connected to spiritual deadness, and Jesus is using that illustration that his audience, his Jewish audience, was very familiar with. And sleepiness is dangerous. 
both in the physical sense and in the spiritual sense. Example, how many, let's, let's have a little transparency. I'm gonna admit my, my, uh, my fault here. How many people have ever been driving on a long stretch late at night, probably when they should have pulled over and started to get sleepy at the wheel? Anyone? Okay, right, not just me. That is extremely dangerous. Now, I've, I've had to pull over uh, multiple times because I've been so sleepy. Sometimes I push through when I shouldn't have, but the danger, I think it's even more dangerous to sleep at the wheel than it can be sometimes even drunk driving, depending on how sleepy you are. But if you fall asleep and you're not looking, you can, you're, you're headed towards danger. And so Jesus is saying the same thing. He, basically, he's saying this. City of Sardis, Church of Sardis. If you don't wake up, the same thing that happened to your city multiple times throughout history is going to happen to you. This is a message to a church that thinks it has it all together, but in fact is in a very compromised spiritual position. And this, in fact, I would say is probably the most dangerous because you don't see the threat. You're falling asleep, and so you're unaware of the threat, as opposed to persecution when you're very clear, or as opposed to false teaching, which can be clear to some, this threat is completely undetected, and slowly they are falling asleep, and slowly they are dying. And so Jesus is saying, listen, don't be lured into spiritual laziness because it will end in death and destruction. We think about spiritual passivity. If we're passive about anything in our lives, it usually doesn't come along all of a sudden, doesn't it? If something happens all of a sudden, you're aware of it. Usually you sort of slowly drift off. Like, you know, you're at night, I'm watching Star Wars, my wife's away at Transformation Weekend, and uh, it's going to drift and on, and all of a sudden the show's over, you know, the lightsaber chopped the guy's arm off, and I'm like, what's happening? I missed, totally missed the scene. It kind of comes at you, and you're kind of unaware that you're falling asleep. And sometimes, do you ever read a book and you're just like still holding the book in your eyes, but you don't even realize it? You're like, what just happened? That, that's how sleepiness comes upon us. It's slow, it's gradual, it's deceptive. You know, and after a hard day's work, that's what we do. We like come home, maybe flip on the TV, flip something on, flip on the phone. You're kind of scrolling through. And then our mind starts to wander. Perhaps it's like we're looking at sports, following the Eagles, Perhaps we're following the news. Lots of bad news out there. I mean, you could have whole messages about all the different things that are going on in the world today. Lots of bad news happening. We can get consumed by that. Or we can be, you're on your computer, your phone, and those algorithms are programming your mind to start to think a certain way. And so your mind, you start to change. Your thinking starts to adjust according to what you're looking at and what you're paying attention to. And over the course of days doing that, over the course of minutes and hours, those hours turn into days, day after day and week after week. And soon your focus is completely on something else other than that what God has for you. It's a subtle thing and it starts with those tiny little blunders, those small changes of thinking that compile and compile. It's kind of like the butterfly effect, the little flap of the wings that leads to sudden destruction when it may come. It could be any number of things, and each of us have our own thing. And perhaps the Holy Spirit will guide us as we, we wait on him this morning. But churches can lose their focus on God, can't they? And I was speaking with a pastor recently. He, uh, he had a chance to visit other churches because he went on a sabbatical. And he said the thing that, that stuck out to him was that how so many churches are designed to please the people 
based on their wants and desires. Like, it's just the perfect time for you and your family. Or here's the program that you can do that makes you feel good. Or here's a message that won't make you feel uncomfortable. Or whatever it might, might be. Churches, we can fall asleep. As a church, we can fall asleep trying to please people with our entertainment or our politics or whatever it might be, or just trying to make people happy. But in fact, that might not be what God has for us. Jesus says things that are actually quite shocking, and we need to come face to face with those things that God, God says. Another way that churches fall asleep is by being too busy for God. In other words, churches can have programs but not have the presence. And we as a church, God forbid that we would ever be a church that comes consumed with programs and not the presence of the Lord. And so here's a question. If God, in any church, in our church, right, this is self-reflection as well as for the broader body of Christ out there, would, you, would people notice if the presence of God left the church? Or would things seemingly continue to go as they would keep going if God wasn't even there? And that's a frightening reality that churches could keep going and continuing and no one would even notice that God's presence was there, which is kind of like the main thing that we're trying to do is pursuit of the presence. And so we need to be very aware of that. And so we need to be aware, like, and it happens again subtly. What are the good things that we have in our life that can pull us away from God? Family, work, travel, sporting events, even ministry involvement those things can start to suck up our attention and our time and we can slowly drift away from Jesus himself in our pursuit of these other things. God wants us to pursue him in his presence and soon we're falling apart. Now, how do you know that might be happening? Well, you start making sacrifices to serve those things. Then the, the things that God gives us as gifts, worship, times of worship, times of community, uh, the gift of serving others, sharing in our faith with people, growing in our faith. Those things, like involvement on a Sunday or on a small group, or the, those things soon become obligations rather than gifts that we get to receive. Cherished gifts that we have, some of the greatest resources God has given us. We start looking at God's gifts as obligations or things that must be done rather than things that we, we, we have the privilege of receiving. Or there's, there's, there's little signs we can often get, like outbursts at your family, maybe a sense of constant anxiety that you're feeling, and there's really no interaction with God about what you're feeling on a day-to-day -day basis. And then soon, if, if we, if a church or a people group or a family, if we continue along this path, we can then find ourselves in the very dangerous positions Especially if we're part, and this, remember, this is a message to a church. If we're part of a church community where you have a public, per, a public spiritual life that seems alive, but in reality, there's death personally. There is zero connection with God whatsoever. And if you want to know what happened, you see all these pastors or leaders or church movements that have crumbled recently, and I don't have to even name them. You probably are familiar. What happened? Well, my friends, this is what happened. There is a, a reputation of being alive, but in actual, there is a deadness. And so this very threat, which is an unseen threat, we need to be aware of, and Jesus makes us very aware of through this message to the church 
in, Sard- in, Sar- in, in Sardis. So, how do, we, how, do we, how do we respond to this? Well, one of the ways is that we can hear the alarm. We can hear the alarm that Jesus is sounding, and we can wake up. We can come alive again. We can respond to what Jesus is saying, or we can continue down the path that many of us and many people often find themselves on. Instead of forgetting about God, instead of refusing to change, or instead of focusing on our reputation, what we can do is we can do what Jesus says in Scripture. And so in this Scripture, you can see it here. Uh, If you want to pull that back up again, that would be great. I see two things. Two things that Jesus says very clearly. He says, remember what you've received, too, and repent. So those are the things that we can do. If you want to wake up, you want to live a a life that is alive again to Christ, we remember what we've received, and we walk in repentance. Those are the two things that we see. So what have we received? We as a church, we've received this cherished gift of a relationship, of a relationship with Jesus. It is a relationship that we have with God the Father through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is a cherished gift that we have. And in this relationship as God's children, he's given us a purpose, a very clear and meaningful and eternally important purpose to be that city on the hill, except it's a city of light, a light on the hill. He's made us a light to the nations, to the people around us, to, the, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That means the people locally and globally, we as God's people are called to be a light as the children of God. And, and anything else outside of this very basic truth is simply a distraction that is lulling us to sleep away from what God really has for each and every one of us. That is what we need to remember. And what we're going to do in a moment, or in a couple minutes here, is we're going to take communion. And what do we do when we take communion? We remember what we've received, just what Jesus is saying. And that's why he instituted the practice of communion. So when we take communion every week, which we've, we're doing every week now, which I'm, I'm actually thankful for, and I've got... Has everyone like that, by the way? I just can't... Show of hands. If you'd like taking communion, can you raise your hand, please? Awesome, cool. One of, my, one of the staff members, I've heard maybe it was Jess, it was a great idea that she had uh, looking at it from a generational perspective. But she said that uh, it was great because other people have said that it was, it was great. So I thank you for that feedback and I think we'll keep, we'll keep doing that. But anyway, as we look at communion, what we're doing is we're taking what we've received and remembering what God has given to us. And so we're gonna do that in a moment. So what does it mean to repent though? Okay, so just as tiny blunders can lead to major disasters, tiny micro changes in our thinking and in our behavior can have the reverse butterfly effect as well. You can make a decision to think differently and behave differently when you hear God's word, when you hear a message, when you read the scripture, you hear the scripture, you say, okay, what's one thing I can do to adjust the way I think about my life and adjust the way that I'm behaving in my life to align more, more with you. And often we think we have to make these great giant changes. And sometimes, guess what? God will call you to make a tremendous change in your life. But it often starts with being faithful in the little changes. The little unblunders is to the, the wonders, not the blunders, but the wonders of the kingdom. And what God will do is he'll reveal to you Little, little insights into your life. And so it could be something very small. You know, 
I'll tell you a story. Here's, here's what repentance looked like for me uh, at one point. And I want to bring it in because it's Transformation Weekend. I went to Transformation Weekend years ago, and the Lord showed me that there were people in my life that I needed to forgive. And so in that moment, I prayed a prayer of forgiveness. And some of the people in the past I hadn't interacted with, some of the people were currently I was dealing with. And I've been able to deal with those people with a tremendous amount of grace and love in a way that I was not able to before then. I had, I, there had been something growing in me, a bitter root that God wanted to uproot so that I could then love and be the light to that, to that people or to those people in the moment. And that's what happens. It takes a little, the little change. And so when you listen to a sermon, when you read the word of God, when you're sitting before God in the morning or whenever you read your scripture and pray, Ask the Lord, how are you calling me to think differently? How are you calling me to respond to what you're saying? And all, all those many, think of, if you make those many adjustments over the course of every day, over many weeks and over many months and over many years, you're going to be following Jesus. And so when the big time comes and when Jesus calls you to follow him, you will be. You already are. So here's the question. Um, I wanna, I'll, well, actually, I'll, be, I'll ask the question after, but let's, I'm going to look at this last scripture, and then I'll ask that question. Why would we do this? Okay, so the reason word is, is embedded in the last section. Revelation 3. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let, him, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so the symbolism of having white clothes. Okay, this idea of clothing is often an example. Clothes, white clothes represented those who were baptized in the early church. They put on white shirt, white clothes represent being clean and justified, pure before God in his sight and set apart for, uh, for worship. And the soiled clothes, the dirty clothes represent the corruption of the world or the way that the world lives. And so he's using, con comparing and contrast, contrasting these two, these two images. And he says here, the book of life, he mentions the book of life. Now, this is interesting. The book of life is actually mentioned multiple times throughout Revelation. If you want, if you want to do like a search for it, you can. Just a little tip, by like Bible study tip, and this is something I use often, not only in my sermon prep, but when I'm doing a personal Bible study. The, the, the Bible resource, BibleGateway.com, you can do a keyword search or a phrase, and it'll list like every single part in Scripture where that word pops up. And you have to, it does depend on the translation you use, but it's pretty good and it helps give you a real systematic view of, of one theme or word that appears in scripture. However, this book, this, this phrase is, is, appears uh, several times and um, it's interesting, in, in Greek cities, they would, they would have a, a register of all of the, um, all of the citizens of that, of that place. And in some of the Greek cities, when they were going to execute one of the members of the city, they would literally take the book, the register, they'd open it up, and they'd blot the person's name out as if they never even existed. And they would do that as a way of, of, of like protecting the reputation of the city. Like this person was never even part of the city, so their what they did doesn't really matter. And then they would just go execute them. And what Jesus is saying is that if you don't repent, 
And there are plenty of people in the church of Sardis whose names are being blotted out of the book of life. Now, this is a humbling reality to think about, that there's a book in heaven and that our name could be blotted out if we fall asleep, if we become dead, if there's a spiritual deadness that leads to, to death, to spiritual death. And so it's sobering, it's humbling to consider the consequences. This falling asleep is a pretty big deal in the eternal sense. And Jesus is making us aware so that we don't get to that, to that point. So that's, that's the warning. But there's also a reward. There's two rewards. What are they? One, it says here, Jesus will acknowledge your name before the Father and his angels. See, we can either live this is like we're kind of, we have a choice the way that we live our lives. We can live our lives to develop a really good reputation with people, look good, be successful, have other people applaud you and think you're a wonderful person. Or you can live your life to have, to have a reputation before God. And you will one day, and just picture it, one day you will stand in heaven before God and Jesus himself will acknowledge your name before God, the throne of God and all of the angels. I mean, imagine that moment. That, could, that would be the best moment I could ever think of. Can you think of a better moment in your life or in, in all of eternity? That's the moment we want to live for. To be, I can only imagine what that would be like to stand before God and have our name acknowledged before heaven. So that's one reward. That's a pretty good reward if you ask me. And then the second one he says here is you get to walk with Jesus. We get to walk with Jesus forever. So here's the question I want to ask. Do you want to know if you're going to walk with Jesus forever? The question is, are you walking with Jesus now? Is that your life? Is your life a walk with Jesus? Is that the priority of your life? Or, or are you being lulled to sleep by the other things, the reputation the busyness, the activity, the algorithms, the being swept away. And so Jesus kind of, again, he gives us the red pill and blue pill. He offers us, he, he hands it out to us and says, listen, you want to wake up? Here's the pill, take it. Jesus does not want destruction to come upon anyone. And he doesn't say, he, Jesus doesn't bury the church. He, he, his heart, his desire is that they would then be restored. That is why he's telling them and giving them this message out of love for each and every one of them and out of love for us. Okay. So that's the word. That's the word of the Lord. Now let's take a moment. What we do every week is to allow the Holy Spirit to make it come alive in our heart. Now I encourage you, we're going to take some time to be quiet and be still. And um, if you fall asleep, uh, don't get too worried it's not literally speaking about falling asleep when we have the meditation time. You can do that if you're tired. But I'd encourage you to take this time. Take this time to do some business with Jesus. Okay, let him speak to your heart. Maybe there's an area that has, start, has fallen asleep. Or maybe your life has been on a trajectory of sleepiness. And he's going to say, wake up. But I'm going to let him, we're going to let him do that. So we're going to say, come Holy Spirit. We're going to invite the presence of the Lord and let him finish, finish the message, so to speak. Holy Spirit, have your way in our midst. 
would you bring to life the individual application? We've mentioned several things, Lord, but, but only you know each and every heart. And so I, would, I pray that you would bring to life what needs to be brought to life in each of us now. 